Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. My name is Dewey Doval, and today I am especially excited to talk with Dr. Matthew Haste about the intersection of two subjects that many of our listeners should be very interested in. Uh, those two subjects are pastoral ministry, and the second subject is the Puritans. So, uh, Dr. Haste, thank you so much for joining our program today. Uh, as we talked in the uh, before the uh, recording started. Uh, my voice is a little off and uh, you're freezing to death in your office. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're both going to have to endure uh, a little bit of uh, being uncomfortable over the course of this conversation. And I'm sure our listeners will have to at least endure uh, the scratchy sound of my voice uh, as, as we go through this discussion. But nonetheless, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're so full to have you on the program. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, Dr. Hayes, since you're a first time guest on the Covenant podcast, would you be willing to share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Uh, typically have uh, first time guests share some information about their upbringing, their educational background, ministry context, family, anything of those lines. So please feel free to share as much or as little as you desire on those subjects. Sure. So uh, my name is Matt Haste. I grew up here in Kentucky and uh, Came to Christ at a relatively uh, young age as a teenager, uh, went to a, a public university, kind of just lukewarm Christian, uh, generally interested in the things of God and, and somewhat well discipled and well cared for by a, a local church in my hometown, but with uh, far more things that I, I didn't know and knew, uh, had little exposure to than, than I realized. And uh, in in my first year of college, was just very blessed to meet some godly friends who became a great encouragement to me uh, in those years and beyond. And then uh, also met my wife. Uh, her name is Cheyenne. We've been married now 18 years, and we have three kids. And did college there at Western Kentucky University. Uh, then went on to seminary. By the end of college, was fairly convinced I, I was a uh, uh, I desire to be a pastor. I wanted to be a pastor. I felt called to the pastoral ministry and um, all the pastors I knew had gone to Southern Seminary. And so that's where I went. Uh, I remember the the first time I set foot on campus, it was a, a conference for college students. And I went to this plenary session. I had to look up the word plenary to understand what the word meant. I went to this plenary session and the president of the seminary, Dr. Moeller, uh, gave this address from uh, the book of Hebrews. And I remember sitting in the room thinking, uh, I, I'm not sure that I understand all the words he is saying, but now I know where I want to go to learn. <laughs> and uh, it was just a really formative moment for me, one of one of many on this campus that, that have shaped me and formed me over the years. And so I did my master's here uh, while in Bowling Green, Kentucky, a couple hours from here. I was serving on staff at a church there, eventually did a PhD here at Southern in uh, spirituality counseling, and uh, with a bit of an emphasis in historical theology. And then uh, since PhD and over the course of that time, I've served in pastoral ministry at three different churches, and I've served on faculty at two different seminaries. So I'm now in my fifth year on the faculty here at Southern. I lead our professional doctoral studies office, which is doctor of ministry, doctor of educational ministry, and I teach spirituality and counseling, practical theology, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder at Clifton Baptist Church, uh, just about a mile from our campus here. Well, praise God for all those ministry opportunities, Dr. Haste. And I'm sure many of our listeners who are familiar with Dr. Moeller uh, would attest to the fact he's, he's a brilliant man, and sometimes he can leave 
uh, even those who have robust theological training in the dust when he gets on a roll and in the midst of a sermon or a podcast. So uh, I'm sure uh, a, a younger version of you would be right there with me at, at 29 years old to this day uh, mm-hmm. listening to Dr. Mueller. But um, to our listeners, I, I've actually had the privilege of uh, getting to know Dr. Hayes through the D. Edmund program at Southern Seminary now uh, for over three years. And, and he clearly has the spiritual gift of administration. I completely uh, support anybody who wants to pursue uh, <clears throat> master's degree studies or doctoral degree studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, Dr. Hayes would certainly be a good uh, contact for those who are looking to go uh, the doctoral route. I'm sure he'd be a good contact as well uh, for counsel when it comes to uh, master's degree education as well. Um, but you're also a gifted writer, Dr. Haste, and uh, I, I've been especially blessed by your book, The Pastor's Life, Practical Wisdom from the Puritans. That's, of course, the, the primary subject we'll be discussing uh, for the rest of today's episode. And maybe as we begin to transition our conversation in that direction, uh, would you share with our listeners what initially led you to write this specific book? Why the why the Puritans? Why uh, the application of the Puritans to the pastor's life? I mean, you clearly have a shepherd's heart on top of all the academic experience you have. Uh, maybe untangle some of those details for our listeners. Yeah, so th- uh, this book was co-authored by uh, Shane Parker and I, and uh, actually the idea for the book was his. And so uh, it's a quick answer to, to how I got involved was he, he had this great idea and, and he asked me if I wanted to help with it. And I said, sure. Uh, but to, to unpack that a little bit more, uh, Shane was the pastor of the church that my family and I joined when we moved to South Carolina. I was on, on faculty at a seminary there. We moved to town. We we're just looking for a healthy church to get involved in. And uh, Shane uh, had had uh, studied at Southern. And so someone here connected me to him. We visited the church, got involved and became good friends. We had a similar background, similar training, and I think a similar heart for thinking carefully uh, about the the work of the pastor. And we had, had both benefited from the Puritans. And so the idea for the book was let's look to a particular generation of pastors, or in this case, several several generations, in fact, and and let's think about how today's pastors could benefit from their legacy and particularly their approach to the work of the pastor. Uh, so the, the Puritans are a, a deep reservoir of pastoral wisdom. Uh, that's something that, that Shane and I were both convinced of even long before we began the, the formal research for the book. Uh, we had both been trained by men uh, here at Southern and then just authors in various contexts who had had done, you know, first and second generation work in retrieving the Puritans for the church today. So I'm, I'm thinking about uh, men like Jab Packer and Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, a next generation of men like Leland Riken and Joel Beakey and Michael Haken, who uh, had have been looking for decades back to the Puritan movement as a particular uh, source of of wisdom for pastoral ministry, for uh, the organization and uh, the ministry of the local church, and and then for everyday application of biblical faithfulness in the Christian life. And so we had we had benefited from reading the books of authors like that, and then of course via them getting getting back to the work of the Puritans themselves. And and part of the idea here was, what if we created a, a resource that would 
introduce Puritans as pastors uh, to today's pastors, right? Because uh, it's it's one thing to to say to the average pastor, "Hey, you should read the Puritans. They're they're really helpful." And then you know, to someone who's who's maybe un, uninitiated and un uh, familiar with the Puritan movement, you you quickly realize, okay, we're talking about uh, dozens of men. We're talking about an entire movement of of people that would have included men and women. We're talking about uh, at least 150 years of history, and we're talking about thousands of pages of works. And so, you should read the Puritans. Quickly turns into okay, which Puritans? Where do I start? How do I begin? And and so the the goal was to create something that would make the the wisdom of the Puritans accessible to today's pastors. No, and I think you succeeded in that. I, I think through even kind of what's going on with the John Gill project with the London Lyceum, mm-hmm. trying to make a guy like John Gill more accessible, yeah. where where you, you open up his book, if you're uninitiated or, or some of his works uh, that have been uh, published or republished, I should say in our day, and the print's microscopic. Uh, it, it's not really... Um, aesthetically pleasing to, to look at and to try to read through. And, and sometimes there can be a language gap or uh, just some, some real uh, technicalities of verbiage that we're not familiar with. And uh, so the same can be true with the Puritans, um, which, which kind of leads me into my next question. You mentioned the, the sheer volume of Puritans that there are, not just in terms of, of how much writing there is to sift through, but also uh, how many figures there are to, to interact with and to um, to consider over the course of well over a century of time, what led you to emphasize the particular Puritans that you note in the book? You list several. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, each chapter of the book uh, is is really dedicated uh, to a different figure uh, from the Puritanical movement and showing the the insights that uh, can be directly applied to pastoral ministry from from their thought and. And from their life, what led you to those Puritans uh, that you reference in the book, as well as the specific areas of concentration? Uh, what, mm-hmm. what caused you to have those particular focuses? Yeah, so we actually started, you know, methodologically, we started with the work of the pastor today. We, we tried to think about what are the central tasks of pastoral ministry? What are the the actions of pastors. So we, we thought about things like preaching, shepherding, uh, the, the pastor's family life, the pastor's prayer life, the pastor's doctrine, just key components of the pastor's life and, and the work of ministry. And, and then we started to isolate each of those. And, and we, we kind of made up a, a hypothetical scenario where we said, okay, if, if we had a pastor who was wanting to to learn uh, in this particular area of pastoral ministry, he was wanting to strengthen his preaching, for example. Uh, which Puritan would we point him to? You know, if we could, if we could take him back in time and they could sit down for coffee or tea or whatever they would be drinking, then uh, you know, who, who could we connect him with to help him improve his preaching or, or learn from a Puritan on the subject of preaching? Uh, and then, and then we thought about, okay, well, you know, someone like William Perkins, who's whose work on preaching and, of course, um, written and published sermons became a, something of a paradigm for future generations of, of Puritans. And, and so uh, so then the, the chapter is uh, preaching with William Perkins. And so we, we kind of worked through each of the tasks in a similar way. Uh, there was a bit of 
acknowledgement of, okay, if we're going to write a book on appreciating the Puritans, there are certain Puritans we just know we're going to include, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're going to include John Owen, no matter what. It's just, which one of these chapters do we want to put him into? That kind of thing. And so, uh, so there's a little bit of that as well, but it, it really began with uh, thinking about a particular task and then thinking about the a particular Puritan pastor who was in some sense uh, an exemplar of that aspect of pastoral ministry. And sure. then we tried to write the chapters as as something of introductions. So we tried to kind of imagine, you know, if uh, maybe one of your listeners is is going, okay, preaching, I know what preaching is, and I want, I want to grow in preaching, but I don't know anything about William Perkins, right? Uh, so we tried to write the chapter with that brother in mind. Mm-hmm. And and so the the first page of each chapter has a, a nice little sketch that one of our, our friends um, custom designed for the, the book itself. And then we give just a, a little snapshot uh, overview of the particular person, their dates, their key works. We included uh, their place of ministry because we wanted to emphasize that these men were pastors. We're emphasizing their work as pastors in particular. And then we included as much as we could uh, some sense of a network of pastoral mentors. So part of what we wanted to portray here is these were not uh, isolated men in, in distant places with with no connectivity between one another. But in fact, there was something of a movement and some cohesion across the generations. And you can trace that through these uh, networks of pastoral friendships and, and mentoring. And so so for each pastor, we, we noted some of the pastors that were influential in his own development. And then we kind of wrote the chapter with a, a bit of an introductory feel. So this is who the person is, some of their, their basic biography and key details of their ministry. And then we would typically get into a particular work uh, that, that focused on the, um, the task of ministry that was the focus of that chapter. Excellent. No, and I apologize. I, I uh, jumped the gun earlier and thought that you were wrapping up an answer. So I, I appreciate you elaborating there. And uh, it's very helpful to, to give our listeners kind of an idea of how you went about structuring the book in each particular chapter. Um, so so and on that note, let's think through uh, you, you, you've given us kind of the methodological approach to structuring the book and the goals that you had intended um, to to connect a Puritan with with a, a particular aspect of pastoral ministry that you believe they uh, exemplified with excellence during their respective ministry. But what would you say are the definitional marks of a Puritan pastor? And, and are those marks, are those characteristics being instilled in the next generation of evangelical pastors? Uh, in your opinion, you're very, of course, uh, well-steeped in seminary education. Um are the are the characteristics of what you would deem to be a definitional to a Puritan pastor? Are those characteristics being instilled today? Should they be instilled today? Uh, what would be your thoughts on on those particular questions? Yeah, well, I'll start with that that general vision of the Puritans for pastoral ministry, and I, I think if we were to try to distill again, I mean, 150 years thousands of pages of writing, many, uh, many men in the pulpit and, and uh, ministry of the church. And in this is one of the things we draw out in the first chapter in various contexts. So when we talk about the Puritans, we we often will, in a kind of conversational sense, refer to them as if they're this collective uh, organized body of 
individuals. And in, in one sense, there's continuity across the generations. I think we can certainly define what a Puritan is and what a Puritan is not. And, and we can give a definition to a Puritan vision for the pastoral ministry, which I, I will in just a moment. Uh, but we also have to acknowledge that uh, it's it's not like there was an annual conference of Puritans at, where they sat down and said, okay, guys, what are we all in agreement on? Who are we against? What are we for? I mean, this it, it's far more organic and fluid and it's contextual. And so, you know, some of the Puritans are chiefly focused, particularly in the early generations, with uh, literally purifying the Church of England. That is, their their aim was a healthier uh, Anglican Church, a healthier expression of the Church of England. Uh, and by by healthier, they would have meant uh, a more biblical, uh, more biblically rooted uh, Church of England. Um, in the uh, middle of the 17th century, that becomes um, a line in the sand where y- you're either subscribing to uh, the particular rules of the Church of England, or you're being cast out in the Act of Uniformity in 1662. And so uh, so the, the Puritans of that generation, you know, they're facing challenges that previous generations and latter generations did not face. Uh, their their context was very, very different. And so uh, a man like John Owen, who's, who's writing um, under Cromwell's reign and from a place of close proximity and friendship uh, with Cromwell during the, the Commonwealth period, he just has a very different life and and uh, very different access to uh, things like publications than someone like John Bunyan, uh, who's writing uh, from prison uh, in Bedford because he's he's been cast from his pulpit because he uh, refused to subscribe. Uh, so just as a as a footnote, there's there's continuity. It, it's I think accurate. I think it's historically defensible to refer to them as a whole, but it's always important to recognize that there's a lot of distinction, but. Puritan to Puritan, we might say. But in terms of a a Puritan vision for pastoral ministry, I think a nice image is actually from Bunyan in uh, probably what is the most read work of any Puritan, which would be the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, his his allegory of the Christian life, where, of course, as as many of your listeners would would know, the, um, the, the story focuses on a man named Christian, who's journeying from the city of destruction to the celestial city, to that which is to come. And he encounters all these characters and names and places that represent various aspects and experiences of the Christian life. And so he goes to this uh, place called the House of the Interpreter. The interpreter seems to represent the Holy Spirit. He's, He's shown various things in the house, and each of them represents something of the Christian life. And relevant to your question is this painting of um, a pastor, right? So the, the Puritan vision for a pastor, I think I think we find it on the walls of the House of the Interpreter. And, and Bunyan describes the, the painting like this. He, he says he, um, uh, he was a, a man with a grave expression on his face. So there was a seriousness to his task. Uh, he had his back to the world, Right. So there's there's a renunciation of the world. I think that helps emphasize the centrality of personal piety and godliness to the Puritan vision for not just the pastorate, but for the Christian life. Uh, It says um, he was holding the best book, best of books in his hands. Right. So he's he's holding a Bible. The the Puritans understood uh, the task of the pastor to be to explain the Bible. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, They were. Uh, chiefly interested with making the meaning of scripture plain to their hearers and and you know eventually as we receive them today to their readers and so he's 
He's got a grave expression. His back is to the world. The best of books is in his hands. His eyes are uh, looking to the heaven, uh, to the heavens, because he's uh, he's recognizing a dependence on God. Uh, he's he's crying out, we might say, for um, the uh, the work of the Spirit to be active in his his preaching. And then Bunyan says, uh, "There's an expression on his face uh, that uh, he's." as if he's pleading with passersby, right? So so again, there's this gravity to the the work of the ministry. And he recognizes that the task of the preacher is not to fundamentally to entertain. Uh, it's not even fundamentally to inform. It's, it's actually to stand between heaven and hell, uh, representing God, beckoning God's, beckoning people to be reconciled to God. And, you know, as, as Richard Baxter famously uh, summarized, there's a gravity to that because we, we preach as a dying man to dying men, right? Uh, we're not guaranteed the, the next opportunity. So I, I like that image. It seems to capture a number of the key themes. You know, there's, there's a seriousness to the work of the pastor. Uh, there's a renunciation of the world uh, that implies uh, a sense of piety and personal holiness there's a dependence on the spirit and the work of the triune God. Uh, there is a zeal to see men and women be reconciled to God. And, and all of it is based on that book in his hands, right? They're, they're not seeking to uh, present their, their own vision of uh, the best life. They're not seeking to um, uh, present that which they deem would be most profitable in, in this world, but they're, they're seeking to, uh, implore men and women to be reconciled to God and his ways according to his word. So I, I think that that captures somewhat of the Puritan vision for pastoral ministry. Now you ask an important question. Are, are we still teaching this in seminaries? Uh, well, I, I've had the privilege of serving on two faculties at two different seminaries. And, and I'm, I'm glad to say that's been the, the emphasis and goal of both of the seminaries I've taught at. I, I would imagine it varies school to school. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful there are many uh, institutions of, of theological training that uh, while while they may not share all the same emphases, and they certainly wouldn't necessarily share the same theology of the Puritans, mm. there's still a great deal of emphasis uh, among, among particular schools uh, to train up ministers of the gospel who would go forth into the world proclaiming God's word for the sake of, of his glory and, and the, uh, the sake of his name. And, and so, um, we, we could talk more about that as kind of a long answer to your question. So I don't know if you want to uh, delve into that more, but um, uh, it gives you a bit of an answer. Yeah, no, that's, that's very helpful. And um, I think probably being on staff too with a guy like Dr. Michael Haken, I can only imagine the uh, the conversations that are had about these uh, particular distinctives. And um, again, just the broader influence that we've seen and, and almost a retrieval of the Puritans through Banner of Truth and through mm -hmm. uh, Reformation Heritage books with Beaky and um, and then of course your, your book being a helpful introduction to the subject as well, which I have been personally blessed by. Um, and that that brings us to the the next question that I wanted to um, to ask you, and and this may be more practical than uh, some of the previous ones that we've already covered. Um, and and the question is this: uh, We live in a day where the Puritans can be viewed as anything from exemplars of Christ-like character 
to proponents of religious pietism that borders on legalism. So you kind of think of the mischaricatures uh, that can exist when, when it comes to thinking through the Puritans. Uh, and then you can think of the, the, the real high and lofty views that, that you and I and, and many of our brothers in Christ and, and sisters in Christ, for that matter, would share as they think about the Puritans. Um, but, but there tends to be, at least in, in my experience, um, at least at the popular level, uh, almost like there's this spectrum. And, and you're going to view the Puritans anything from as uh, exemplars to be uh, appreciated and learned from or um, pietists that, that were just legalists and, and, and really heaped up unnecessary burdens on, on uh, the people in their particular context. Um, but I think you've provided a good balance uh, in terms of how you've interacted with, uh, with the questions that I've presented and how you've portrayed the Puritans historically. Um, but as you think about the Puritans as pastors, uh, and Bunyan's illustration was great, but I want to I think practically now. Um, what's the most balanced understanding, in your view, of who the Puritans were as pastors uh, in real context, uh, not, not necessarily uh, always hitting the mark at, at these mm-hmm. maybe these uh, overly lofty uh, um, evaluations that we can direct to Puritans in our day. Um, and, and of, of course, not always uh, and maybe even not hardly ever going all the way down to just just a bunch of pietists that were legalists and um, and, and didn't have any life or any joy. Uh, just just very rigid, spiritually speaking. What's a what's a balanced view for your typical Puritan pastor? Uh, anywhere from the real struggles they face uh, to to the to the real um, concerns and burdens they had for God's people, their awareness of their own shortcomings, those sorts of things. Uh, if if we got listeners here today who are not very familiar with the Puritans and they've they've kind of heard the caricatures out there, whether right or wrong, um, what are you what are you trying to present to? Uh, somebody as, hey, this is a pretty accurate understanding of, of what a Puritan pastor would have looked like um, and somebody that contemporary pastors can relate to. Uh, how would you go about addressing that particular question? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, it's, it, there, there are a number of works that kind of correct some of those caricatures, and, and it's important to do that because, um, again, there's there's diversity among the um, various Puritans over the the span of of several generations. There's variety in their context. There's variety in the freedoms they enjoy. There's variety in the relative uh, fruitfulness, we might say, of their ministries. So some of their ministries are uh, exemplary in the fruit that the Lord brought to their work. Uh, while others labored for decades and, and seemingly saw very little visible fruit in terms of the, the work before them and, and the change that they were able to observe. And then, of course, um, you know, with each of them, there there's always, as there is with, with us all, the, the gap between uh, the life we aspire to and the, the vision we aspire to and, and that which we actually live out. Uh, so one of the things we decided early on in, in the writing of this book is we wanted to include a chapter that um, uh, in, in some way delved into some of the caricatures, but but less in the sense of like, here's why this this one, you know, bad uh, stereotype is wrong and more on the level of, OK, let's look at some actual problems with the Puritans. And so we. Um, 
we didn't want to develop uh, just a pure polemic for Puritanism. I mean, our, our goal is not that uh, today's pastors would become Puritans in every sense of the word, right? Uh, our goal is to say, okay, here, here's a, a, a movement of pastors, multiple generations of, of pastors from whom today's pastors can learn a great deal. Uh, that's not the same thing as saying that everything about these these men was uh, perfect or exemplary. So, so we included a chapter uh, that focuses on Jonathan Edwards, actually, that we called the pastor's failures. And, and in that, we looked at two uh, kind of negative marks on Jonathan Edwards' record. Jonathan Edwards, by the way, some some call Edwards the last Puritan, some, you know, a later, a latter day Puritan. Puritanism doesn't have a sort of formal end. And so it, it's hard to draw the line in terms of when uh, we pivot from the Puritan era to the early evangelical era. But I, I think anyone who studied the the writings of the Puritans and the writings of Edwards would would draw a line between the two, you know, whether you call him a Puritan or not. Uh, but we included Edwards as the focus of that chapter because we thought, you know, among individuals associated with this uh, group of men, Edwards is probably the best known. And, and, you know, he's got some particular marks on his pastoral record that are, are note, noteworthy. And, and we're not the first to draw attention to this, but, um, you know, the, the fact that he was effectively fired from his, his church in uh, New England. And then, of course, uh, his uh, views on slavery and, and support for uh, slavery that, that uh, he articulated in various places. And so we wanted to uh, delve into that as a way of, of just trying to be historically honest about here are here are men whom we can look to for their wisdom, for their uh, character, for the seriousness with which they approach pastoral ministry. But in doing so, we're also recognizing uh, they had their flaws as well. They had their weaknesses too, and and so I think you know you ask about the the balanced understanding. That to me is is where the balance comes in is recognizing. Anytime we look at a historical figure, it's the same as anytime we look at a contemporary uh, whom we admire. There's going to be aspects of that person's character, ministry, writing, doctrine, which are exemplary and worthy of imitation. And then that person is, of course, also going to be uh, flawed. They're, they're going to have... Um, areas of weakness. They're going to have blind spots in their character. They're going to have blind spots in their ministry. They're going to have blind spots in their theology. And, and so we want to have a balanced read on them that, that can both appreciate them and uh, their faithfulness in their day, and also uh, provide a critical lens where we're, we're not unwilling to point out those flaws when they're clearly observable, right? Um, so, so it's both end, right? Uh, and, and I think it certainly is with the Puritans. Um, I'm a, um, a pastor and professor uh, as a, a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, so I have obvious theological differences with many of these brothers who were pastors in the Church of England uh, on, on various uh, theological issues of great importance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned Edwards and, and his uh, views around slavery, and, and we could talk about other Puritans and, and uh, various historical movements they were involved in and things like that. So it's, it's historically honest to 
acknowledge that and and discuss that and and uh, evaluate it critically. Um, but we we don't want to do so uh, in a way that causes us to lose uh, that which we can appreciate, right? And and that which we can uh, benefit from as as we study their lives and ministries today. Amen. Amen. And um, you, you went down the rabbit hole that, that I wanted to go down. Uh, I didn't, it was all, not on our questions. It wasn't supposed to be discussed, but you briefly alluded to uh, the, the kind of debate about uh, who's the last Puritan and, and, and where do we draw that line? Just out of just my own curiosity, for the curiosity of our listeners, if you have an opinion, where should we draw that line? Uh, where, where, where's kind of that dividing line between the Puritan movement and then everything that comes after? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question, and uh, I, I I honestly am not uh, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on on giving the the definitive answer to that. Really? I I think um, Edwards is a it, from a from a theological perspective, uh, Edwards is is a helpful kind of bookend mm. uh, to the Puritans. Although when when you go back to um, men like William Perkins and and sort of that first generation of Puritans, again their emphasis is purifying the Church of England. By the time you get to Edwards, you're talking about a, an American Congregationalist, right? Yeah. So so there's this Puritan spirit to his ministry, and I think if we put that uh, that painting of uh, the Puritan pastor from the House of Interpreter in front of Edwards. I, I think he would say, yeah, that's everything I'm trying to be. You know, I, I don't think there's anything in that painting that wouldn't apply to Jonathan Edwards. Um, but in, in that sense, um, you know, that that's where uh, people call uh, folks like Martin Lloyd-Jones and J.I. Packer Puritans in their, right, own, right. in their own day. Right. So there, there's a there's a Puritan spirit and a, a, a Puritan approach to ministry and theology that I, I think does continue on through the ages. In terms of the Puritan movement, you know, it, it's probably with the uh, the act of toleration at the uh, the latter part of the 17th century that really begins to change the political religious landscape in England in such a way that begins to create the historical context from which the Great Awakening uh or in which the Great Awakening takes place, which most scholars w- would recognize as kind of the beginning of the evangelical era, if you're distinguishing between Puritan and evangelicalism. So, so somewhere in the uh, late, late 1600s, early 1700s, uh, you have the uh, the end of the the historical period that's usually associated with Puritanism, and the beginning of the uh, historical period that's usually associated with evangelicalism or certainly early evangelicalism and guys like uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the transatlantic evangelical movement of the uh, 1730s and, and 40s. And so so somewhere in that, you know, 50 year time frame, uh, I think active toleration 1689. Right. Um, and then uh you know, you've got the uh, the early period or the early evangelicals in the 1740s. So uh, somewhere in that time period is where I would put the uh, end of things. No, that's very helpful. And uh, again, kind of scratched my own uh, itch of curiosity there uh, since, since we, we kind of got on the uh, issue um, tangentially there. But uh, Dr. Hayes, it's been a delight getting to talk with you today. 
um, to our listeners. Get yourself this book, The Pastor's Life, Practical Wisdom from the Puritans. You will be blessed. Uh, it's not only a great introduction to the Puritans, but it, it's also very edifying to uh, to those who serve in pastoral ministry or to those who aspire to serve in pastoral ministry. Uh, just to get a very um, a very balanced perspective on on how the Puritans uh, modeled Christ-like virtues in ministry, how they dealt with issues in ministry, uh, things that we need to be thinking through as well as we navigate through the highs and lows of pastoral ministry in a fallen world. And and Dr. Haste, as we look to draw this conversation to a conclusion today, uh, do you have any final thoughts on anything that we've discussed today? Do you have any recommended resources perhaps for some of our listeners who may be looking uh, to to delve into these issues that we've discussed today uh, by way of introduction at a, at a more uh, extensive level or, or any closing comments that you'd like to make uh, by way of encouragement to our listeners? Yeah, I'll mention in our book, we included at the end of um, every chapter some additional resources. So in the in the first chapter, it's it's just kind of additional secondary works on the Puritans, uh, works like Leland Riken's Worldly Saints and um, G.I. Packer's collected uh, writings on the Puritans that, that uh, in, in America was published under the title A Quest for Godliness. Um, there are a variety of um, good works that are, are kind of secondary overviews of the Puritans. We've mentioned scholars like Joel Beakey and Michael Haken who have done important work in the, the, the last generation. And then in each chapter, we also at the end of the chapter included some particular resources on that pastor. And so if you want to learn more about uh, Richard Baxter, or John Bunyan, or John Owen. We just included some kind of next steps, uh, you know, sort of breadcrumbs into further study. Uh, there are a, a ton of great resources on the Puritans. I, I think uh, your listeners would do well to, to just find some that would guide them through it a bit. Uh, the, the biggest encouragement I would give, though, is actually to read the Puritans themselves. The, the secondary sources are helpful to kind of organize and, and help you get a sense of the overall movement and some of the emphases and who are the major players and their significant works. But if you just really want to benefit from the Puritans, and particularly if, if you're a listener who's in pastoral ministry and you want to um, benefit from their vision for pastoral ministry, I would get William Perkins' book on preaching uh, you know, pick up John Owen on the mortification of sin, uh, pick up Richard Baxter, the reformed pastor, uh, certainly John Bunyan's work on Pilgrim's Progress, um, so many others, Matthew Henry's uh, work on prayer, uh, William Googe on uh, domestical duties, his work on the family. So each of those are, are going to look at a different facet of pastoral ministry and uh, and, and in many of them really just a, a different facet, facet of the Christian life. And it's going to benefit you to to hear from the Puritans themselves. Very uh, good closing word there, Dr. Haste, about the value of reading uh, the original sources. Mm -hmm. uh, Ad fontes is, is another thing that we would say uh, to the sources. Very mm -hmm. uh, helpful way of, of closing out what's been a uh, fascinating and encouraging discussion. Uh, thanks again, Dr. Haste, for coming onto the podcast today. Uh, on a personal note, I, I hope you appreciate how much uh, I appreciate you as a brother in Christ, as an elder in Christ Church, and as a servant at Southern Seminary. I know uh, many of our listeners who are familiar with the seminary uh, can likely attest to everything that I've experienced uh, as a student there and, and, and as somebody who's come into contact with your service there at, at Southern. So 
I hope God continues to bless your labors for Christ Church uh, in the academy and uh, as well as in the local church itself and, and in your family as well. So um, thank you again for taking the time today and, and just know how much I, I dearly uh, respect you, brother. Thank you very much and God's blessing on your ministry. Thank you so much. And uh, to our listeners, we want to thank you again for your continued support of the Covenant Podcast. Until next time, we wish you grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless.